When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. History Teachers Talking Podcast short lectures have now grown up and moved to their own channel. Don't forget to subscribe to our new podcast, History Shorts, wherever you're listening to this episode. Meanwhile, thanks for listening to History Teachers Talking, and here is your newest episode. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Uh, today we're going to look at how political, how major American political parties really evolved over time and became to the dominant two that we have today. So it's, it's a pretty interesting bit of information that we're going to be going over. And when you're talking about political parties, there's, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about the main ones, because before we click record, you and I mentioned there's a bunch of political parties out there that you guys have never heard of. And we're probably, and by probably, I mean, definitely not going to take some time to to look into this. Some we will. I was just familiar with from when I taught AP Gov, because it was, you have to like know all these different political parties and some of the details about them and all their platforms. A lot of them only have one platform. So, so like, give me some that give me some before we get into the main ones. And really, we're going to talk about the evolution of the two party system. Yeah. But give me some of the political parties, Tom, that no one probably has ever heard of, or at least if they have, they're like, I don't know what that is. Give me some political parties. Well, one is pretty obvious what their platform is, and that's just the marijuana party. I can't believe and that's a party. It's, it's a real party. They are legit, and it basically they just want the legalization of marijuana and to use it as a major cash crop in the United States. That's pretty much their main focus. They don't have any other uh, gender on their website or anything like that. So when, as far as like how they want to deal with foreign affairs or anything like that, it's just marijuana. And the smoking of marijuana is pretty much their only concern. That is nuts. So there you go. That's just kind of out there. Yeah. But for the most part, American electoral politics have really been dominated by two, two major parties, um, the Republican Party and Democratic Party, since the 1850s. Those are the two yep. largest parties. But just so you have to understand, those two parties, although they keep the same names, they've evolved many times over the years. Their ideologies, their positions, their support bases have changed quite a bit over their lifespans um, in response to like cultural developments, how the society change, economic developments. Nowadays, the Democratic Party is seen as being the left of center party. Since really the time of the New Deal, that's kind of when you get the really like modern Democratic Party. Yeah, and the true. Republican, yeah, the Republican Party is now seem to be more of like the um, right sort of center. And it's really when I used to t- teach uh, AP Gov and tell the students like the difference between Democrats and Republicans. If you look at like a massive political chart, like a spectrum, the political spectrum, a Democrat and Republican are so close to each other in the big scheme of things. There's such a small difference. You know, yeah, try to say but that you, to the majority of Americans today. Well, yeah, but, I, but I, yeah, yes and no. I also think the majority of Americans probably realize that too. It's, it's really the more extremist, vocal, yeah. more extremists on both sides that really get yeah. things. And we'll take a look at how that really has evolved over time. But really, these political parties, what's interesting to note too is Washington warns against them because he says they're not a good thing because it's going to split the country. But they're also not mentioned in the Constitution at all. 
Nope. The Constitution predates the party. So it's probably been interesting to understand is that the two-party system is really just kind of based on laws, like rules and like custom. When we watch the, the parties and when they have like debates to see who the nominees are going to be and the caucuses and all that stuff, that's just party rules. And there's some laws about, you know, raising campaign funds, which come much later on. It's just kind of interesting to note that, that it's not part of the American say, oh, this has roots in our system. I guess you can say that because it dates back so far, but actually in our actual creation of the Constitution in our republic, there's no such thing as a political party. Yep. Let's go back to the beginning. I mean, the one thing we have to, like you mentioned this a couple of times, the idea of George Washington, even before George Washington becomes president, the founding fathers, when they were crafting our constitution were very much afraid of they didn't call it political parties it was referred to as factions. Uh, as factions and the idea was that a faction would be like a clique if a clique develops a majority or a minority clique within any group that clique or faction can then influence others and sway others to their opinion in other words this is kind of you know faction being representative of what eventually becomes a political party and james madison yeah. who was the father of the constitution he's the one that wrote it famously warned in his federalist 10 paper the federalist papers yes which is any ap students out there that's a required document exactly no, to, yeah he warns Absolutely. against factions he but also argues that factions can control other factions he realizes that they're bad but they're also going to happen so he's a little more open-minded well but he knows they're going to happen people are going to join factions yeah. So just Washington saying don't have them is not going to be enough he says no people are going to join these factions so the idea is to have that certain factions will keep other factions in check. You want to have a lot of them. You don't want to have these just two dominant ones. And it's also is the precursor and the beginning, really, uh, or rather segue into the political parties, because you had two groups of people here that wanted to strengthen the American federal government. You had those that were pro big federal government, regardless of the fear of factions. And those guys are your James Madison's and uh, George Washington, so on and so forth. These founding fathers, they're the ones that want a strong federal government. So they become known as federalists. They're pro-big federal government. And these are not political parties. And oftentimes my students will confuse it when I talk about this because the federalists and anti-federalists are not yet the political parties yeah, we speak well, of. The federalists are just trying to get the constitution ratified. Exactly. It just and goes then, all the way back to getting rid of the Articles of Confederation, creating the constitution. Yeah. Those federalist papers are just trying to get people to rally support for the constitution. Absolutely. And then once the support is granted and the Constitution and the anti-federalists lose, the guys that are like, no state power, no federal power, they wind up losing. And the federalists technically win their fight. We have the signing of the U.S. Constitution. It is agreed upon. The Bill of Rights is shortly thereafter added to it through the first 10 amendments. Boom, we have a new government and a new president in 1789. But the guys that won this argument, that wanted a federal government, that moniker of federalists kind of sticks with them. And it actually does turn into the first, very first in America political party, because those that were pro strong federal government, such as George Washington, who became our first president, become known in the newspapers as the federalists, the ones for a big pro federalist government. And technically speaking, we were the first one of the first countries to have, if not the first country to have a political party, because Great Britain did not have their own political parties until like three decades later after yeah, us. Yeah, it, it was an experiment, right? The other countries are looking to see how what happens to this American How it shakes out, yeah. If it's going to shake out. And really, the political parties really became to be 
over the 10th Amendment. I'm sure you, this, is, this is how yep. it all comes about. Because the 10th Amendment, which is basically any states that any power is not explicitly given to the central government or denied to the states, belong to the states. And it was this interpretation of the 10th Amendment that really led to a lot of these federalism controversies today and then led to political parties. It was kind of like debating over what state rights versus federal rights, which is something that we still have today. So this goes all the way back to, you know, 1789. They say, well, the Constitution doesn't say it, then it's a state right. Yeah, but no, the federal government has a say in this too. And it's just that battle between state rights and federal rights and how strong the central government should be all the way to how strong the state rights should be, which is still something talked about in 2023. And they were worrying about it back in 1787. So it shows us that, you know, the problems have not changed that much. It says that's where a democracy or republic is. It's going to be this back and forth and the fact that, you know, in fact, really anything gets done sometimes is fascinating really when, is you fascinating. Really, when you really dig deep into this stuff. so Absolutely. Becomes embedded in two different personalities. These two views you're talking about, states' rights versus big federal national government rights, the groups of people really associate themselves with two different figures. One of them is Thomas Jefferson. He is more of the states' rights kind of guy. Shy founding father, wrote the Declaration of Independence, but he's very much in this idea of, you know what, the wealth should belong to the agricultural base the in America. Agriculture base. Yeah, but small farms. He was, well, we would say, say small business. Yes. Like, that's where he's focused. He didn't, he didn't want these big plantations. He says, no, that's not right. You have these smaller units of land that like mom and pop basically farms, a type of economic system. He goes into the one corner and he's very much like strict view of the constitution, agrarian oriented, low taxes, weak military, pro-French. And on the other side here, you have Alexander Hamilton. And Alexander Hamilton wants a strong central government, wants more power to the Constitution, very loose interpretation of the Constitution, meaning like we could do a little bit more than the Constitution says, very pro-business, high taxes, strong military, so on and so forth. Except these guys don't have political parties yet. Quite frankly, they're, you know, they're actually part of George Washington's cabinet, which yeah. leads to Thomas no Jefferson. Quitting, yeah. Well, no one right. wants to break away from Washington at first. And it's yeah. also they're fighting over the state rights too, or the, not the state rights, but the federal, the power of the federal government. So what ends up happening is Thomas Jefferson, who is the Secretary of State under our first president, gets into an argument with Alexander Hamilton, who's the Secretary of the Treasury. And it becomes very evident to Thomas Jefferson that George Washington sides with Alexander Hamilton, with this idea of a strong federal government that's going to tax the people and control the people. So Thomas Jefferson's like, I've had enough of this. And he winds up quitting as the Secretary mm -hmm. of State of George Washington. And as he quits, he begins to publish his views about states' rights, about the federal government being limited, about not having so much power, about the agrarian-oriented society. And those that believe in him are like, yeah, this is this is what we like. This is what we're going for. This is a true republic that we wanted and signed up for. We didn't sign up to be a New England with a mighty king instead of yeah. this time you're calling the president, but they're like, we don't want a strong government. They were so, worried about tyranny. They were worried about tyranny. So they exactly. create their, a, a new party. Exactly. It's kind of ironic what that party is called, right? Well, it's the funny part because it's the two parties we have to, yeah. today. Become, he formed with James Madison around 1792, the Democratic Republican Party. Yeah. So that's what they're known as. And they basically are a pretty powerful party from 1801 to 1825. They control the presidency and the Congress, as well as most states during this first party. It's one of the first party system. It's the first time we have in a party. And it all began as a faction in Congress that really was these, call themselves Republicans, after this ideology of Republicanism that they were basically distrusted a uh, federal government. They wanted to have a true republic 
which means more power for the people. The followers of uh, Madison and Thomas Jefferson as Democratic Republicans eventually dropped the whole Democratic part of the name and simply become known as the Republicans. So when we have our, when George Washington steps down and you have your next election, you have the Republicans, Democratic Republicans going against the Federalists. The Federalist that's running on the Federalist ticket is John Adams. So John Adams wins that election. And because at the time, if you came in a close second, you became the VP, you had Thomas Jefferson becomes a vice president while he's from a different political party. So you have to imagine that what winds up happening in 1796 uh, is that John Adams, the president of the United States now, is a federalist pro-big government. And his VP is Thomas Jefferson, a guy that literally wants nothing to do with big government. He has his own political party, the Democratic Republicans. And it's not until 1800 when you have the first official shift in power, which the whole world is really watching this because every other country has monarchies. So no one gives yeah. up power willingly. No, so it's, now, a, it's a revolution that changes power. They actually call it, and but even yeah. this case, so they call it the revolution of 1800 in America because it's peaceful and it's simply an election. You have the election. Uh, John Adams runs for re-election. He loses. And now the world watches. Okay, one political party, the Federalists, are stepping down to give their power to this new party? Like, are they going to do it? And they do it, which is what proves that our system is going to work ultimately. At that point, this is the interesting part because once Jefferson steps in in 1800, after a while, we become like a, for a hot second, like a one party state. Yeah, you have the air of a good feelings, right? We're exactly. Well, right? that's Monroe's presidency, but so relative political unity for the most part. Uh, for the first time since the Revolutionary War. Um, by the 1820s, the Democratic-Republican Party itself starts to fight. Yes. And you have four candidates from the same party run to replace Monroe in 1824, and this causes the uh, large political split that you have today. This basically sparked the Jacksonian democracy, which leads to the actually Democratic Party, what becomes a modern-day Democratic Party, dating all the way back to 1828. Yes. The story behind this is very simple. The Federalist Party winds up dying out during the War of 1812. In the War of 1812, we fight against the British and the remnants of the Federalist Party, because by then, for 12 years already, you had the Republicans in power. The Federalists are very much opposed to this war. They're a bunch of bankers that have business dealings with Britain. They don't want to fight with Britain. So they kind of poison the waters by saying we shouldn't fight with Britain. We should go for peace, blah, 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 blah. Now, that war, although we don't win that war, we don't lose it. And it creates this era of good feelings and this idea of patriotism. And the Federalists are viewed as kind of traitors in all this. And at one point, they actually wanted to like separate New England from the rest of the colonies. Yeah. And because of this, the Federalist Party basically is shunned and dies away. So now we only have the Republican Party. And as you mentioned, the Republicans are now running against Republicans for the nomination. And what ends up happening in 1824, you have one Republican, Quincy Adams, winds up running against another Republican who is a guy from Tennessee, self-made man, super wealthy. His name is Andrew Jackson. And Andrew Jackson, does not fit the bill as like your, you know, educated, college educated or aristocracy-esque guy. No, not at all. So they don't want to give him the presidency, even though he wins the popular vote. 
the Congress manages to finagle things. He doesn't get enough electoral votes. Exactly. And they so don't the, give it to him. This has happened before, but right? the person who had won the popular vote, it's happened quite a bit the last, what, 10 years or so. That's yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Because there was other people. Then it wasn't Henry Clay running. Henry Clay runs like a bunch of yeah. times. Oh my God. That guy never dies. Yeah. And when I think of people that appear in history at random times, it's Henry Clay and William Jennings Bryant. Yeah. They just kind of pop up. They're just yeah. always there. Boom. And there's William Jennings Bryant. Um, in this case, Andrew Jackson is so upset that he feels like he had this election stolen from him that he's like, this isn't democracy. Like, this is a farce. So he goes out and he starts his own political party known as the Democratic Party. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. So now we have the Republican Party and we have the Democratic Party. But we have to understand that the Republican Party at this point, because it flips a few times, the Republican Party here is made up of the wealthy elites. And the Democratic Party that follows Andrew Jackson kind of is a populist party. Yeah, it's a popular party, more social conservatism, economic liberalism and stuff like that. It's really what they're going for, at least at at this time. They're promoting more of a social liberal platform, left-leaning, I guess, to what you you see modern day. So they do trace it all, the modern day Democratic Party, but it's still not the modern day Democratic Party as we know it today. Absolutely not. It's not social programs. They look for social justice, but it's also, remember, it's social justice by... 1828 standards so it's a different type of yeah they justice. just want they just want universal male suffrage they want all all of them to have yeah. the ability to vote they want yeah. the common man this, this, to have access when they to say man they want it's white man white men absolutely it's it, it's not they're not anti-slavery or anything like that they're not for women's rights that brings us to 1830s and a new two-party system federalists are gone we now have Republicans and we have the Democrats, also known as Jacksonian democracy. When yeah. Jackson comes into power, he does eventually get elected in 1828, and he winds up sticking around for a while, and so do his followers, which actually leads to the destruction of the Republican Party. The Republican Party gets so overshadowed by the formation of the Democratic Party that it slowly starts to wither away and you have a new party that comes out. The Whig Party comes out during this time. And its only agenda and platform is to challenge Andrew Jackson. The Republicans are slowly losing ground to this common man. By the time Andrew Jackson finishes his presidency in the 30s, 1830s, that you have this universal male suffrage. You have so many more common people voting that they very much attach themselves to the Democratic Party because they believe, whether rightfully or not, that the Democratic Party opened it up for them to participate in. And this is also when parties become a fixture, not just in politics, but also in social life. Yes. Where where more people are talking about politics because now it's not just these wealthy elite landowners that are voting. It's any white male that's voting. So by doing that, you're having more of that 
politics is becoming more of everyday life. And that's one reason why the, the Democrats were able to dominate so much. And it really stays this way up until the 1850s is when the uh, issue of slavery really starts to take center stage, particularly whether slavery should be permitted in the new territories that the country is acquiring in the West. The Whig Party attempted to like really take issue with it with the Kansas-Nebraska Act, whereas the status of slavery would be decided based on popular sovereignty. They would yeah. vote whether or not they wanted it. But the Whig Party defeated, they kind of like just sink over the uh, Franklin Pierce in the election of 1852. You see overwhelmingly wins and their candidate doesn't. He just kind of, they kind of just fade away. A lot of the Whigs joined the Know Nothing Party. Uh, yeah. Know Nothings were short-lived and Republicans would survive these politics leading up to the Civil War. And the primary Republican policy was that slavery had to be excluded from all territories. It's a pretty new and just six years later, they captured a presidency with the man you might have heard of. It was Abraham Lincoln in 1860, which then, though, leads to the Civil Our War. two parties. Yeah. But it's also what's interesting here is that it's amazing how quickly all this happens. The Republican quick, Party yeah. seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah, and, and six boom. years later, they're the president. Exactly. Like, it, I mean, that would be unheard of today. That's like us starting a party six years ago and calling it like the fluffy party and winning oh. the presidency. The marijuana party could be building steam. I know, right? <laughs> this really, this Republican Party comes out of the remnants of the Whig Party, which is you're already seeing the flip in, in America. Oftentimes when I teach this to my students, I tell them that when you have a party that is liberal, that means they won't change. And a party that's conservative is a party that wants to remain with the status quo. So in the first party system, first time uh, we did this in this country, right, your first party system, you had the Democratic Republicans were the liberals because they wanted to change yeah. what was in place. Well, you got to understand, then, it's, it's the liberal of the time. It's the exactly. conservative of the time. If you took a liberal from 1789 or the 1850s, threw them into 2023, their head's going to spin. Exactly. Yeah, because what happens is the liberals that want change ultimately get their change, and then all of a sudden they become the conservatives, they which is what happened here. And, and there's a new liberal. Exactly. There's, there's a, and that's what happens. And that's how it just evolves over time, as you know, we'll continue talking about. But you have these two major parties now, at this point, by the 1850s, is Republican and Democrat. And that's the way it's going to stay. Just where they land on issues is going to switch now. Exactly. So let's kind of run through this real quick. So you have the initially we have the Federalists, which are the conservatives versus Democratic Republicans, which are the liberals. The Democratic Republicans become known as just the Republicans. The Federalist Party fades away and the Republican Party turns into the Whig Party, the remnants of it. And the Whig Party now is the conservative party. While the Democrats, Jacksonian Democrats, are the liberal party. And then all of a sudden, Jacksonian Democrats become the norm. So the Democrats being pro-slavery and all that, you know, opposing gold standard, they become... Popular sovereignty, yeah. Exactly. They become like the conservative party. Conservatives. Conservative party. And then their new Repu the new Republicans are now the liberal. When you think Republicans today, you're not thinking liberals and Democrats conservative, but that's where we're at right now. The, the GOP Republican Party, the grand old party, yep. which has its roots in 1854. Yep, that's where we currently are. All right, so what happens to that party? Why does it switch? What, what's going on here? Why are we the way we are today? That's right, so after the defeat of the Confederacy, um, Republicans really become the dominant party in America for decades. They're associated with military defense of the Union, uh, the Republican coalition consisted of businessmen. You had shop owners, steel craftsmen, clerks. You really couldn't be anything other than Republican at this point, really, yeah. because then you were just seen as Confederate sympathizers, yeah. right? So a lot of people were attracted to the party's modernization because they were also the hip party. Remember, they were, they were very young at this time. They're only about 10 years old, too, after the, by the time the Civil War 
ends. And obviously all of the new um, free citizens, the, all of the former slaves are now going to join up and they're going to vote and they're going to vote Republican because that's a part of the end of slavery and they have the right to vote. So the Democratic Party was usually in opposition during this period, though it did control some Senate seats and um, stuff like that. The Democratic support mostly came from what was known as Redeemers or the Jim Crow, Soul mm-hmm. South. So you have some of that going on. Slowly is when you're going to, that's going to lead us into the fourth, what's known as the fourth party system, which saw the beginning of the progressive era. And this is when the Republican Party still dominated and their interest groups and rolling blocks were unchanged. But a lot of the central issues of government and how government was going to be run, uh, particularly when it comes to like trust and, and tariffs, kind of uh, went more to the Democratic viewpoint. Yep. So just for some context purposes, what winds up happening is the Democrats, think of the Southern states as the Democratic states and all the anti-slavery states, Lincoln states, right, as the Northern states for the most part, not all, as the Republican states. What winds up happening is as Reconstruction's going on, it's costing a lot of money to the federal government to upkeep the military occupation of the South, number one. Yeah, number two, the Southerners resent that a lot. You have a lot, half of the country resents the fact that they're under military occupation. And by the time Reconstruction is coming to a close in 1877, you're basically looking at a fact that all of the Southern states are now back in the Union. That's number one. And number two, they're all back in the Union hating the Republicans. So that is why in 1877, you have an election of 1876 between a Republican, Rutherford B. Hayes, and a Democrat, Samuel Tilden. And all of a sudden, it looks like Samuel Tilden, the Democrat, so these like pro-slavery dude that we just fought as war against these guys, ultimately, right? Yeah. Um, is about to become president. So the Republicans are like, no, 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 no. So they have a compromise. Rutherford B. Hayes, a Republican guy, will become or stay in power. He'll become the president. Republicans are woo, still in power. And Reconstruction's over. How does that sound? And the Democrats are like, cool, we'll do it. And you're right. The Republicans kind of chug along. But it's evident that the Democrats do have a lot of sway here, specifically in the South, which does bring us to the turn of a century, 1900s, and the progressive era, right? Yeah, that's basically what's going on here. And there's some realignment that takes place. So the Republicans pretty much still dominate the industry in the Northeast and some a little bit in the border states. But then what happens is the panic of 1893 kicks into place. And the Republicans basically blame the Democrats for that, yeah. which leads to McKinley's victory over the guy you said before, Williams Jennings Bryan, in the 1896 presidential election, which that's going to do is then just kind of lay the groundwork really until what the known as the fifth party system comes into place, which doesn't come in place in the 1930s, really, with the Great Depression. So there's some stuff in between there, obviously. So we're not going to get into much detail with that. Yeah, yeah. But that's really what's going on. But you have some other parties that are going to pop up, like the, we said before, the Prohibition Party is going to pop up. You have a Socialist Party that's popping up during this time, the Progressive Party, like we said, a Communist Party. They're all kind of working at the same time at this point. They're not major they're not, parties. Yeah, they're but third they're, parties. They're yeah. third parties, but they are influencing the other parties. The other parties are going to kind of cherry pick and pull certain things from each one. Like Prohibition does get passed in 1919. So yep. you do have that going into place. You do have some um, labor, some of the things that the Communist Labor Party of America wanted as far as having unions put in place. All right, these things are going to happen. A lot of the progressive reforms are obviously um, put in place during this time. Um, Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, creates the Bull Moose Party as an offshoot of the progressive party. So there's all these other things popping up as well. But it's, it's basically laying the groundwork and the status quo, which is then going to create these policies that lead to the Great Depression which is really what ushers in the modern era, what we would call the modern era of politics. What's interesting about this is the fact that all these little party platforms, 
essentially, these people that follow these smaller parties are funneled in and almost stolen by the big parties. It They're going to join the other ones. Ultimately, I would say the Democrats are the ones that take the progressive party. You would say people's yes. party ticket, right? Yeah. yeah. When the Republicans really start dominating again after this, obviously, all the way up to Hoover. Yeah. But then the Great Depression hits and then Republicans aren't going to dominate for a while. Rightfully or wrongfully, again, you listen to a podcast, do your, do your research. Um, Hoover gets blamed for it but during this time, the fifth party system with the Great Depression. But when Roosevelt, FDR, becomes president and starts instituting all of his New Deal programs, that's really when the Democrats become the party of big government. That's in that dramatic political shift. They become also a dominant party. They control the presidency until 1952. They control both Congress, House of Congress for most of the period between the 30s and mid-1990s. Um, and this is really when they position themselves more as liberals, while conservatives tend to, at this point are rising and then they're dominating most of the GOP in the, in the Republican Party. Because the New Deal does things like raise minimum wage, establish Social Security, other federal services. Big government. So, yeah. Big government. So they're, they're getting the backing of organized labor, European immigrants, Catholics, Jews, African-Americans, intellectuals, liberals, reformers. Um, they're all siding with the Democratic Party. So they're getting a much larger base. And you have this major shift here because all of a sudden the Democratic Party, which used to be just 50 years before, 30 years before, was associated with like super conservative South. Once FDR becomes president and says, you know what, we're going to help out. We're going to do the opposite of what Hoover did, who was a Republican. We're not going to wait for the economy to fix itself. We're not going to give money to the wealthy to funnel down. We're going to give jobs and direct welfare to the American people. The government is going to federal government. The federal government is getting involved in your life, which was something unheard of before by both parties. Yes. The federal government, you know, it's there to run things and stuff like that. But like, as far as getting directly involved in people's lives, that's not what it was going to, that was not what it was going to do. That's not what it's supposed to do. But Roosevelt said, no, the government is here to help take care of you, which is a very foreign concept at the time. Not anymore. Very radical concept at the time. No, not, not anymore. Well, this is why it gives rise to those modern, the modern era of it, basically, like we said before. This is one reason why it just kind of like snowballs into this massive liberal party all the way up until like modern era. But you have the civil rights legislation, right? Civil rights acts of 64 and 65 are driven by the Democratic president of Lyndon B. Johnson. So what's really ironic in all this is the fact that the Democrats, uh, you know, you're talking about the Democrats being the ones spearheading the civil rights agenda. And it's so ironic because it's the Democratic Party that was the pro-slavery and yeah. reconstruction yeah. party. And actually, you see remnants of this because there's another party that is kind of formed here. And it's known as the States Rights Party in 1948. It's a faction within the Democratic Party. And they're known also more commonly as the Dixiecrats. Yeah. So. They're Democrats, but they endorse, to say it nicely, modern civil rights programs. In other words, they're just like, yeah, no, we don't really want the Democrats to be giving so much to African-Americans. They they like segregation. That's basically, we have more pro, it's the Democrats from the South that were still more pro-segregation. Yep. That's basically what they were doing. After, you know, the Dixiecrats of 1948, the two parties pretty much remain the same to this day in the sense that the Democrats are now from 1930s on viewed as the liberal party, while the Republicans yeah. are viewed as the conservative party. Yeah, and what's that going, does not change. That doesn't change. And the Republican Party is basically the rural working class, mostly white nationwide, right? When Democratic Party is increasingly made up of coalition of African-Americans, Latinos and white urban progressives. Mm-hmm. So that's really what you're, what you're seeing 
at this point, um, this political system, we've also noticed like the Reagan era kind of started with the, the modern, more more modern Republicans to yep. present day, more or less. With that in mind, I mean, I think we should finish up with some uh, little known facts, I, fun facts about political parties. And some of them I didn't know and others I knew, but you guys might not know them. The only president in the United States never ever to truly be affiliated or part of a political party because he didn't run as a political party candidate is George Washington. There you go. Another first for him. Lincoln was actually a member of the Whig party longer than he was a Republican party. Yeah, that is actually interesting, right? Did you see this one? Uh, The Democratic Party had one of the worst political slogans for a candidate. Vote for Al Smith and make your wet dreams come true. Yeah, that, that one dealt with prohibition. Apparently, Al Smith was against prohibition. Prohibition against prohibition. Yeah, that doesn't age well when you see that on the pin. That's not so much. <laughs> well, uh, this kind of gets with how they get the logos put in place. So um, Andrew Jackson, uh, his political opponents called him a jackass, and he actually embraced the insult and put a donkey on his campaign posters. And the Democratic Party has used that symbol ever since. So that's how the donkey is associated with the Democratic Party. Yep. And the Republican Party got theirs from um, Thomas Nast, a very known political cartoonist of uh, Harper's Weekly. He's the one that first drew the Republican to GOP yeah, as an elephant. elephant. And the idea was because they're so big and domineering, you know what I mean? Like the, the big geo, the grand old party. So he picked a large animal and that's how it became an elephant. All right. So when you look at political parties in the United States, uh, you do tend to realize that they do swing back and forth. The parties that were once liberal eventually get what they want and become conservative. A new party picks up. They're the liberal ones. They eventually get what they want. They become conservative. Um, But more or less, you need to understand that the two party system we have has really been in place since right after George Washington. Ultimately, what we see today as the Democrats and Republicans, the way they are today did not happen until the 1930s. So when you get into this politics, it's just, it's just whiplash. Like your head is going to be spinning yes. when you're seeing all this stuff. So hopefully we gave a, a little bit of a better understanding of like a way to kind of track it. But it's it's a lot. It's, it's interesting, lot. but it's also it's a lot. And it does branch off quite a bit also. So we just try to keep it as mainstream there as possible for you. Yeah, and as simple as possible. So thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate you tuning into our podcast. Uh, if you need to find us, you could find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. Please continue sending in suggestions. Make sure you click that subscribe and like button. Thank you so much, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.